Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Scare View cast here. And it's officially fall. I cannot be more excited. And I'm sure you guys feel the same. I mean, it's definitely what it's got to be one of the best times of the year. The weather's just right. You know, it's not too hot, not too cold. Finally, all the fucking bugs are dying off, <laughs> at least the annoying ones. Um, and uh, of course, Halloween is right around the corner. You can't go wrong with spooky season. I mean, at least for us horror fans, it's a time to not be shunned, but to be totally celebrated. And um, this time around, I feel like we need to look at some more recent horror uh, titles. And one that I'm going to say, it took me a few views before I actually began to appreciate it. <clears throat> so, I mean, the first time I watched this after release, all I got to see is... Ethan Hawke. And we're going to get into my issues with him. I mean, I love these films. And, well, eventually I did. Uh, again, Ethan Hawke. Uh, but essentially, things were rekindled after the release of the second, which is, you know, definitely, definitely not something you could say about any sort of, you know, film duo. It, it just doesn't happen that way. Typically, the second tends to suck. And, it does suck a little bit, but for some reason, I loved it, and it made me go back, watch the original, and forgive Ethan Hawke for all of his indiscretions. So, this long-winded bullshit excuse um, essentially gets to me making a point, which is, for the first time in Scareview history, we're going to dissect two films in one podcast. That's right. Let's take a look at Sinister 1 and 2. So, of course, let's start off with the original. New details today in the grisly murders of a local family found earlier this week. I didn't want to move here. We couldn't afford to live in the old house anymore. Plus, the new story I'm writing is here. Is the story a good one this time? I'm going to write the best book that anybody's ever read. I got a really good feeling about this. <laughs> I don't know. First one I found dates back to the 60s. The only link between all these cases is the symbol. The symbol is associated with a pagan deity named Bagul. He consumes the souls of human children. Exposed to the images were especially vulnerable to Bagul's abduction. Sweetheart, what are you doing? Painting. I wanted to paint her picture. Who are you talking about? Stephanie. She used to live here. What's the matter? What's happened? Get the kids. Pack the car. We have to leave here now. Yeah! 
All right, so Sinister, the 2012 supernatural horror film directed and co-written by Scott Deckerson. Uh, the film stars Ethan Hawke. I know I'm going to take some flack for my dislike of him. Uh, Julia Rylance, uh, James Ranzone, Fred Thompson, and Vincent, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, uh, D. Nefrio. <clears throat> the plot revolves around the true crime writer, Alison Oswald. Ethan, uh, whose discovery in, discovery in the attic of his new house, a box of home movies, which sadly depicts grisly murders and ends up putting his family in danger. <clears throat> and all of this was inspired by Nightmare from our co-writer Robert Cargill. Uh, after watching The Ring one night, um, essentially just things clicked and we're going to get into that. So uh, per- Principal photography would begin autumn 2011, production being right around 3 million. And to add authenticity to the home movies or the snuff films, a super, these were actually shot on a Super 8. So full on authentic Super 8 segments used and a coordinated uh, junction between the US, Canada, and the UK. So pretty cool for a film, uh, you know, of, uh, of this magnitude. The film would premiere at the SXSW Festival, releasing in the U.S. October 12, 2012, the U.K. October 5th, so a little bit earlier, and received pretty much positive reviews praising the acting, direction, musical cinematography, atmosphere, uh, and some criticism for essentially the horror cliches, so jump scares, and you can pick it up right from the trailer and the get-go. I mean, there's it's almost like the Star Wars scream. There's sounds that you can basically signify for the jump scares nowadays and just instantaneously know, oh shit, yeah, that's what's coming. And in the eyes of Hollywood, this would be a huge box office success, grossing around $87.7 million against that small budget of $3 million. It's, it's a huge feat. So our plot of our true true crime writer, Elson Oswald, moving into the new home with his family and making a terrifying discovery. In the attic of his home, he finds a collection of horrifying home movies depicting murders of families uh, from his the, the home he's currently living in, as well as others. <clears throat> and all of these murders depict some of truly some cruel scenes so everything from uh, arson throat cutting drowning hanging you name it uh and of course appearing in the films of course is this strange masked fellow so elson starts to untangle the mystery finding out the murders you know occurring across country child going mur- uh, missing after each murder and of course a symbol uh, that would appear at each crime scene belonging to a babylonian deity known as bagul and of course this individual would kill the entire families and take one child in order to consume its soul and this is when the true terror begins as uh, he's placed his family in a line of danger so starring ethan hawk and personally i know i seem to have like my own little vendetta against the guy i should forgive him because in this film he does a pretty decent job but it all goes back to daybreakers i just I don't know what it is about this guy, but I feel like he plays the same thing every time. It's Ethan Hawke in a variety of different roles. And it's uh, every film I see him in, I feel like it's the same thing. He's kind of like his own little uh, Nick Cage, if you will. And I'm sorry to diss the guy. Um, Now, I will admit, 
I will admit, I did not see boyhood. And perhaps, I mean, this was the role of a lifetime for him. So perhaps he did break the mold a little. So maybe I just got to cut the guy some slack. But in the meantime, yeah, Ethan Hawke. Now, the rest of the cast, I have to do then, you know, give them a round of applause. They, they did a bang-up job. I mean, when you're casted against Hawk and so on, I, I just I feel like they were responsible, like, especially for the kids in a lot of parts, responsible for carrying the scene. And, uh, you know, they did a fucking great, great job. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this entire film's uh, thought process all came from a nightmare uh, from one of the writers after watching The Ring. Uh, in fact, he actually fell asleep that night and would end up kind of having this dream about a, you know, family being hung and he found it on a film which was hidden in his attic. And essentially it all kind of grew from there. So Cargill would conceptualize a new take in his mind on the boogeyman, uh, calling the entity Mr. Boogie. Now his idea for the creature would be terrifying and sed- Productive, um, you know, it's kind of luring the children to their doom, but at the same time, it would have sort of this sinister Willy Wonka kind of vibe, which I'm interested. I think that sounds like a great villain. And sadly, once the co-writer Scott Deckerson um, joined in, they ultimately decided to downplay the creature's alluring nature and all uh, basically illuminating on how he manipulates the children into murder and, of course, further developing him into, you know, the demon, this pagan deity, and uh, place it sort of outside the conceptual scope of you know, any particular religion. And uh, consistently, the villain was given, um, of course, the proper name Bagul, and uh, only the children characters would refer to him as Mr. Boogie. Now we have our idea, what is he going to look like? Cargill initially kept the idea of a sinister Willy Wonka, um, eventually giving it up before thinking that audiences might find it kind of silly, and essentially, you know, kind of ruining the film itself. So, Looking for inspiration, Deckerson typed the word horror into Flickr and searched through 500,000 images and would narrow the images down to 15, which included a a photograph of a ghoul, which was simply tagged Natalie. Cargill was particularly struck struck by Natalie and decided, what about this guy? He and Derrickson contacted the photographer, purchased the rights to use the image for about $500, and Derrickson explained that the image appealed to him because it reminded him of makeup and costume worn by performers in black metal, while remaining unique enough so not to be directly linked to the genre. Uh, Deckerson had previously researched black metal while looking for inspiration for Brickwell's symbol, which is ritualistically painted at the scene of each one of the film's murder sequences. So some of the background uh, music for these murder sequences were taken from ambient tracks by bands associated with the Norwegian black metal scene. And this would include uh, names such as Ulver and August. And shortly after our principal photography would begin and of course funny enough they would start with the super 8 footage i don't know why maybe it was the more difficult perhaps the easier i'm not entirely sure and uh, essentially um you know moving on to the film itself and fun little fact um about hawk's character his name elson oswald actually kind of combination of the writer harlan 
Ellison and the comedian writer Patton Oswalt, who Cargill keeps both books um, for both men on his shelves. And it would premiere at the SXSW Festival in the U.S., um, premiering in the U.K. at London Fright Fest and in Spain at this Digis Film Festival, and currently holding 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, so an average of about 6.24 out of 10. And the critical consensus, basically stating the plot, hinges on a typical implausible horror movie behavior and recycles countless genre cliches but sinister delivers a surprising number of fresh diabolical twists which i have to agree with some of i don't know there's something about kids that are just all together fucking creepy and when you add it all up for them to kill their parents it's just even more terrifying and this concept to me pretty unique you got to give them that yes it is recycled you know horror movie cliche crap but at the same time it is still a pretty decent film and it holds together even with ethan hawk so like i said this would do well well enough to warrant a sequel and the rule for sequels is that they typically aren't very good and For Sinister, you know, basically, if we're to talk to the critics, it follows that rule. And as I mentioned earlier, personally, I really enjoyed this one. I don't know. There's something about the kids. I find them really fucking extra creepy in this. So uh, without further ado, let's quickly listen to the trailer. Tell anyone. They'll kill you and your whole family. And watch the film over. ready for bed. Can we just watch till the next commercial? Come on. I don't like it when you boys watch stuff like that before bed, okay? So let's go. Come on. It's not real, Mom. It's okay if it's not real. Do you believe in evil? Something otherworldly? Yes. You don't stop evil. You can only protect yourself from it. I'm worried about Dylan. Why? He's just different. I have something to show you. There are references to Bagul across all cultures. Some believe that it fed off of the corruption of innocence. Children, have you ever met the bogeyman before? No, of course you haven't, for you're much too there are always three things in common there's a murdered family a house and some form of offering what is she saying it's coordinates to where a farm where an entire family was murdered nobody ever comes out here that was terrible what happened Gets the kids. This one's mine. Your family's in danger. Why? He's gonna hurt us. I won't let that happen.
let him come too close to you, he'll catch you with can. catch you with can. catch you with can. catch you with Yeah, there's just something about that one that's just fucking terrifying. So the sequel to its, uh, you know, successor, 2015, the American super horror natural, ugh, supernatural horror film directed by, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Sarian Foy, written by our two Deckerson and Cargill. And uh, essentially, we're going to follow our James Ranson. He's going to reprise his role from the original film and uh, sort of mix in with uh, Shannon uh, Sossaman, um with a very unique twist on our Bagul, you know, kind of storyline. So being released August 25th, 2015 by uh, Gracie Pictures um, with a mix with Focus Features, uh, the film received terrible fucking reviews uh with criticism for its jump scares horror cliches and story uh i will admit ranson's performance received a fair bit of praise and the film itself would you know gross 54 million against the reported budget of 10 million so in hollywood standards that's a huge fucking success and i will admit yeah, we are pretty much reprising the exact same storyline. Bagul's back. This time around, we meet our nine-year-old uh, Dylan, his uh, brother and his mom, all kind of squatting within this farmhouse where, lo and behold, Bagul was there and uh, essentially kind of manipulated this boy, Milo. And holy fucking shit, is this kid cr- fucking creepy. Um, His little video there with the rats... Jesus Christ, fucking violent. Um, But, uh, of course, we kind of follow this whole plot line. And eventually, you know, our lovely sheriff deputy would, of course, you know, eventually emerge the the savior. Now, uh, of course, I know, spoiler alert, but either you've seen it or if you've seen the first one, there's a good chance you're probably going to sign up to watch the second, even no matter what the critics say. And uh, you know what? It's worth watching. It's it's entertaining for 90 minutes. You know, bringing back our favorite, Jane Ranson. Guys, it's Eddie from It. Uh, Shannon Sossman, she's wonderful. And, you know, the kids do such a great job of, you know, just... You can tell they were having fun being creepy. And at the same time, they do such a wonderful job keeping that creepiness as soon as that camera starts rolling. And it's funny with sequels. Once the original, you know, is a success... Hollywood is quick to jump on. In 2013, it was announced they would, you know, start the work for a sequel. And uh, Deckerson was right in there with Cargill. There was no issues whatsoever writing it. But, of course, did not want to sign up for directing. So that job, of course, being handed out handed out elsewhere. And uh, in a quick six weeks, the film was shot uh, with various locations. And uh, quickly seeing a trailer up April 9th, 2015, uh, with that creepy song, we see Hush, 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 Here Comes the Boogeyman. And it's a main piece throughout the trailer, of course, um, and uh, kind of sticks with you. Uh, but at the same time, it's funny because the song depicts the boogeyman as if he's a coward. And with the release, of course, money being made, they did well within the box office and of course within the release um, later on when the film uh, would be let out for uh, sort of home rental. But uh, as 
it's so weird to me. Just with streaming and everything, it's hard to keep track. But either way, um, the uh, reviewers or critics, they, like as I said, fucking hated this film. Uh, with the main consensus reading that Sinister 2 has few ingredients that will be familiar will has few ingredients that will be familiar for fans of the original. Unfortunately, it is a slapdash second installment. None of them are scary anymore. And kind of have to agree with that. Yes, we are recycling a whole lot from the original, but isn't that the whole point of a sequel? I mean, you're kind of keeping to the predecessor, but at the same time, I get it. You're kind of reaching out wanting something a little bit different, and we do not get that whatsoever within this. Uh, but Interesting. There is the potential for a crossover sequel. So prior to the release of Insidious, uh, The Last Key, Jason Bloom stated that the crossover film between Sinister and Insidious series has previously been in development, tentatively entitled In Sinister, and uh, he personally believed that it had potential for sort of re-entering it, stating, um, you know, we're going to cross these worlds at some point, uh, which I find so fascinating that basically we sort of see Jason Bloom kind of entering the Marvel universe if you will that many all of his films could be tied together and that is so so cool to me I'm so excited for that so guys thank you so so much for listening today uh, was a particularly long episode I will admit that so thank you for all who hung in and for those of you who did in the first another first first scare view history we're going to have a draw on our podcast uh guess live while you're listening so sort of fun um so those of you who entered the instagram draw thank you so much and for the lovely winner of two pop funkos and the wonderful book uh dead girl blues we'll be reaching out to dark thorn congratulations so i will uh send you a message on instagram uh hopefully shortly and um guys I'm not an American. We know this, but I cannot stress enough to my neighbors uh, to the south. Please, please get out there and vote. Um, this is so important on the world stage. We're all watching, and uh, you know we really, really hope you guys make the right choice. Be catch my drift. Really hope. You make the right choice. And uh, guys, it's 2020 has been a damn fucking shame. Um, but uh, remember, take care of yourself out there. Uh, taking care of yourself, you'll take care of others. And through that, we will get through it together. I can promise you that. So as always, guys, if you want to see what antics I'm up to, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. And, um, you know, if uh, you like what you heard, you're happy with things. I hope you are. Uh, please leave a review, hit subscribe, share with your friends. And guys, as always, the most important rule, keep calm and stay creepy.